0: everybody, and thanks for joining us for On the Safe Side, a monthly podcast hosted by the editors of Safety and Health Magazine, the official magazine of the National Safety Council. My name is Kevin Drulli, and I'm an associate editor with Safety and Health. With me, as always, are fellow associate editors Alan Ferguson and Barry Botino. It is January, and we're coming to you from our respective homes as our team is continuing to work remotely. Wherever you're listening to us today, thank you so much for spending some time with us. We hope everyone out there is safe and healthy during this time. And as always, we want to thank the safety professionals who are doing all they can to keep our workers healthy and safe. A sincere thank you from all of us for your extra efforts during the COVID-19 pandemic. If you'd like to keep up with the latest news on the pandemic and other daily updates from around the safety world, please check out our website at safetyandhealthmagazine.com. We also have a brand new website for our sister publication, which is called Family Safety and Health. You can find us at safetyandhealthmagazine.com family to learn all about safety away from work. This is episode number 11 of On the Safe Side, but in some respects, this all feels a little new. Sure, there's a matter of this being our first episode of 2021, but it also marks the first episode with a sponsor, Accuform. We thank everyone at Accuform and look forward to telling you more about them shortly. On this month's episode, we'll do a deep dive into one of our stories from the January issue of Safety and Health with Barry, who will discuss the newest version of the National Fire Protection Association's 70E standard and key changes for 2021. Our guest today in the Five Questions With segment is our friend and colleague, Jane Terry, who serves as a Vice President of Government Affairs for the National Safety Council. Jane will help us learn what's ahead for OSHA during the Biden-Harris administration. And of course, stay tuned for our pop quiz. We'll talk about some of our favorite TV binges and movie finds during this pandemic. With that, let's get rolling.
1: Month here at On the Safe Side, we take a closer look at a story from the pages of Safety and Health Magazine, which we call our Deep Dive segment. In our January issue, Barry writes about the key changes coming to the all-important National Fire Protection Association's 70E standard for electrical safety in the workplace. As I'll mention, that standard serves as a guide to help employers comply with OSHA's general industry and construction regulations. So Barry, will you take us a little deeper
2: on this topic? I sure will. Thanks, Ellen, for that introduction. So workers in any different number of industries work with electricity and around electrical equipment every single day. They may not have a strong familiarity with it, or they may not understand that there can be some potentially catastrophic consequences when working with electricity and electrical equipment. And that's where the NFPA 70E standard comes in. It is known as the standard for electrical safety in the workplace, and in 1979, NFPA was requested by OSHA to put the standard together. And every three years, the standard is updated. So this is the new version for 2021. Uh, there'll be another version to come out in 2024. And one source I spoke with, a safety expert named Hugh Hoagland, who spoke about this topic on a recent Safety and Health Magazine webcast. And yes, there's a shameless plug for you to go to safetyandhealthmagazine.com slash events. And click on the button that says archives to find that webcast. Thank you. But he was part of a professional committee that works to improve the standard. And he said the goal during every three-year cycle for the standard for anyone who works on making it better is twofold. Number one, of course, obviously, is worker safety. And number two is clarity. And the thinking is that the more clear and the more straightforward the standard is, the fewer workers who will be injured or in some cases even, even killed when working around electricity. And in speaking with a, a senior electrical engineer at NFPA, he mentioned that even after 40 plus years of a standard being around, some portions are still misused or misinterpreted. So this standard is a living document and it will continue to evolve.
1: So Barry, can you uh, enlighten us on OSHA's approach to NFPA
2: 70E? That's a really good question, because along with requesting the standard be put together in the first place, OSHA calls NFPA 70E the primary consensus standard addressing electrical hazards associated with electrical utilization systems on its website. And that's a pretty praiseworthy description, I would say. One important thing to remember, though, is OSHA does not enforce NFPA 70E but it does use this standard to support citations for violations that are related to its own standards. And one good example of that is OSHA's 1910.335 standard that relates to general requirements for personal protective equipment. And OSHA says that it consults NFPA 70E's flash hazard boundary when considering PPE citations under that 1910.335 standard. And I want our listeners to know that it's it's easy to find a number of resources related to NFPA 70E. The easiest way is just to go to the nfpa.org website and in the search bar you can type in NFPA 70E and one cool thing is that the standard does have its own homepage and there you can read the current standard, you can check out all previous versions of the standard. And there's even a a link to ask a technical question about it. Barry, you
0: mentioned a moment ago uh, talking about NFPA 70E as a living document. Uh, In this year's version, what are some of the key changes?
2: There are usually a number of changes according to the experts I spoke with. Some as detailed as uh, new articles being written for the standard, and some as small as a word change or the adjustment of a definition. For 2021, one of the biggest changes is the addition of Article 360. It is a new article that covers safety-related requirements for capacitors. Now, capacitors have been covered in other parts of the standard before, but the NFPA engineer that I spoke with, Christopher Koash, he said that the NFPA 70 committee and the professionals who give input on the standard during each cycle, they thought that this really deserved its own article this time around. And the reason being that capacitors are seen in a number of different systems now, including conveyors heating, cooling, airflow, uh, and capacitors are stored energy devices, essentially like a battery. So the prevalence of capacitors led to a standard that spoke to electrical safe working conditions when workers are around them. And when it comes to clarifications in the standard, one of the first articles, Article 110, is on the general requirements for safety-related work practices. That got some tweaks uh, this time around as well. So basically, sections of other articles were moved into 110 to create a proper progression of these requirements. Two examples of items that were moved over were lockout tagout principles and energized work requirements. Another change that was interesting is the revision of table 130.5c and that helps those who use the standard estimate the likelihood of an arc flash incident. Christopher Koash from NFPA said this was in order to ensure that people in his words weren't blindly going into the standard and using the table without considering the likelihood of an occurrence. You know, he mentioned that NFPA 70E was was never really designed to make individual determinations on whether your specific piece of equipment has an arc flash or not. So this table includes about 30 different tasks to determine uh, the likelihood of an arc flash incident.
1: Well, thank you so much, Barry, for sharing all this important information. For any of our listeners who want to read Barry's story and other news from around the safety world, once again, please check out the January issue of Safety and Health Magazine or visit us online at safetyandhealthmagazine.com.
2: This month, we welcome a great sponsor, Acuform, to the On the Safe Side podcast. To protect your business and your workers, you can download the Accuform Back to Work Quick Start Guide. Companies are finally starting to see an increase in business, and with that, are increasing their staff. However, with that comes the increased risk of COVID-19 spreading among employees, and even resulting in a possible shutdown. That's something that none of us can afford. So how do we protect ourselves and our workers? Well, you can learn seven COVID-19 safety tips that every business needs to know by downloading the Accuform Back to Work Quick Start Guide at acuformcom slash back to work. And that address again for the guide is accuform.com slash back to work. As the political winds blow change through Washington, D.C. this month, we wanted to talk to a guest this month on our five questions with segment who can tell us all about how those political changes in our nation's capital affect OSHA, the agency that we write about pretty frequently in Safety and Health magazine. So this month on the safe side, we welcome our friend and our colleague, Jane Terry who serves as the National Safety Council's Vice President of Government Affairs. And this month, Jane's comments also appear in a story I wrote in the magazine about what's ahead for OSHA under a new administration. And Jane is someone who is constantly speaking with our elected officials when it comes to everything safety and health. And she's a great resource for our team here at Safety and Health Magazine. So Jane, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome to the podcast.
3: Well, thank you so much for having me today. Glad to be here.
2: So, Jane,
0: clearly the major worker safety and public safety issue in all of our minds this year has been COVID 19. Several states have enacted emergency temporary standards to keep workers safe. Where is the Biden administration headed on this issue?
3: Great question. The Biden administration has not minced words here when it comes to talking about an emergency temporary standard or ETS. They have clearly stated their intent to issue one. I think the question we all have is when so what is the timing of that going to be presumably on january 20th the folks in the trump administration will be leaving their jobs at the department of labor and the biden administration people will be coming in but we don't know who those people will be or even if they will be selected yet because of some of the delay in moving forward with the transition, that would also cause delay in conducting background checks and other necessary requirements before putting people in place in jobs in the administration. So what that means for a place like the Department of Labor is that there, it's going to take even longer than, say, in a normal transition. The priority for the administration will be on getting people in those national security jobs. And of course, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, getting people in those health jobs, CDC, jobs like those. So Department of Labor positions will be among some of those second tier cabinet level positions. So it could be even longer, well after that January 20th inauguration date before we know who those people are and they're actually in those jobs. I think it's going to be hard for the administration to issue an ETS without somebody who is one of their people, if you will, in the job at OSHA.
1: You mentioned the emergency temporary standards. What are going to be some of the key components to that ETS?
3: Well, just to be clear, the National Safety Council does have a policy position supporting an ETS, and we believe that what's outlined in our position will be what's included in a position that the federal government may move forward with. And that could include things like proper cleaning and sanitation, using hierarchy of controls, thinking about ventilation physical distancing, also the use of personal protective equipment. Who would have thought this time last year that most everybody in the United States would know what PPE stands for? But here we are. We all know what PPE are and the importance of them to keeping people safe. And I think one of the things that we have to look at right now as well is what we can learn from what's happening in the states, because we've got four states right now that have issued ETSs on their own. And those are California, Michigan, Oregon, and Virginia. And I think some of those and the provisions within those can help guide what the federal government may do as well.
2: Well, Jane, you were part of a recent NSC webinar on the same topic and the subject of of ramped-up enforcement came up during that discussion. What changes would you anticipate in OSHA enforcement under a new administration?
3: I actually was talking about this just earlier today in another National Safety Council meeting with one of our board members. There's usually a little bit of give and take between the compliance programs and enforcement at OSHA, depending on the administration. Typically, in Republican administrations, you'll see a lot more focus on some of the compliance activities, and National Safety Council is very supportive of those activities. But we also understand there is an important role that enforcement plays to keep people safe and healthy on the job, and we know that that has a time and place as well. And typically in Democratic administrations, you may see more of a focus on that enforcement side. One thing we know is for certain that all the government agencies that deal with occupational safety and health, whether that's OSHA, NIOSH or others, they are underfunded and we do need more support for them so that they can accomplish the range of activities and parts of their mission that they need to implement worker health and safety
0: There are a variety of standards that OSHA works on at one time during the Biden administration what would you anticipate those priorities might be
3: Beyond an emergency temporary standard or ETS I think they may look to doing a larger infectious disease standard this was something that Department of Labor considered in uh, during the H1N1 pandemic about a decade ago. It uh, didn't happen then, but it certainly is worth discussing today. Otherwise, I think there are a few other areas where OSHA could be active and where they've started some efforts previously. One of those is in workplace violence. There was a an effort to look at this issue, especially from the standpoint of healthcare workers, and if there could be help that OSHA could provide to help prevent or create some standards to prevent workplace violence. The other thing that we've seen in this administration and in the Trump administration is dissolving of federal advisory committees or FACAs. These are committees that are pulled together throughout the government of private sector, largely private sector experts on different topics. The Department of Labor and OSHA are no exception to having FACAs available to them. And while they've been de-emphasizing their role in helping shape public policy, I could see that a Biden administration could bring those back. They really are important to provide input and try to influence what happens at the federal level by giving some real world experience. How will this actually play out in the field? Those are important things for government officials to know and understand, and they can learn that firsthand from people who are part of these advisory committees.
1: Lauren Sweat served as the highest ranking OSHA official during virtually all of the Trump administration, and this is the longest period that that agency has gone without a Senate-confirmed permanent leader. How vital is it for OSHA to get that assistant secretary, both for the agency and for President-elect Biden?
3: Well, first, I do want to say that Lauren has done a tremendous job at OSHA and really just thank her for her service to the country and to the people who serve at OSHA as well. All agencies throughout the government are best served when they have somebody who is Senate confirmed in their position. During the Trump administration, there was a nominee put forward who waited in the Senate for over a year to be confirmed. And eventually he actually withdrew his nomination or his name from that nomination uh, because he realized that that was not going to move forward. During that time, especially while there is at least a nominee hanging out there, there's almost a reticence to move forward on implementing things because, you know, somebody's coming and somebody who can help shape The direction and the policy for the agency is waiting, and they'll be here soon. So just hold off on doing anything new. So there was over a year where OSHA, I feel like, was in this wait-and-see mode. Once that nomination was withdrawn, I think there was a sense of an ability to move forward on things. And you did see OSHA do a little more forward leanings on some of their policy decisions. The best situation, though, again, is for somebody who is Senate confirmed to be in a position that gives them the authority to be able to make decisions and move forward on policies that that are priorities for that administration.
2: Great. Well, Jane, we truly appreciate you sharing your insights with us today. And we had a really great discussion with you. Thank you so much for everything you do on behalf of worker safety and public safety there in D.C. for our team. And from us here at On the Safe Side, we wish you a very safe and a very prosperous new year.
3: Thank you. And to you, the same.
0: Well, we learned lots of things about pandemics in 2020, and we hope our listeners enjoyed the discussions concerning topics related to COVID-19 and occupational safety. But right now, we'd like to move a little bit to the the lighter side for a moment. As we've said at the top of each of our episodes, other than the premiere, we are working from home. And at the end of the day, the nature of work from home and quarantining ultimately lends itself at some point to basking in the glow of the small screen. So for this month's pop quiz, we're getting up from the sofa to discuss some of our favorite TV and movie binges or finds during the pandemic. In the same manner that award show hosts ex-celebrities, Who Are You Wearing?, we ponder among ourselves, what are you watching? With that, I'll go first. Richard Jewell, that was probably the most enjoyable, something that was in theaters, I think, late 2019 or so, right before the pandemic. It's a biopic about the 96 Olympic Park bombing and the, dare I say, spoiler alert for something that happened more than two decades ago. But it, it certainly, everything is known. It's just a character study of, of Jewell and everybody around him. Another movie years ago called Crazy Heart, where Jeff Bridges plays sort of a a broken down country singer piece in his life back together. Robert Duvall, as with Bridges, sings on the soundtrack. And I learned that there was a movie from the early 80s called Tender Mercies that is not necessarily a carbon copy, but it's it's Duvall playing a broken down country singer piece in his life back together. Really anything that's kind of piqued my interest, it seems like this is a ripe time to, to watch a movie that you haven't seen or have
1: been meaning to. Alan, how about you? We actually watched The Queen's Gambit on a Netflix. So it was a, started slow, but it, you know, it was very enjoyable at the end. We also watched The Val on HBO. It's a, a documentary series about the Nixium cult in upstate New York. And then actually I watched a movie last week called Zero Hour. I believe it's from the 1950s. It was actually the inspiration for the 1980 comedy Airplane. And they actually, I believe the directors or producers, purchased the rights to Zero Hour in order to use some of the dialogue from that movie word for word in in Airplane. And of course, there's the uh, various Hallmark, Lifetime, what other channel, those movies that are around this year that I will catch all or part of while my wife
2: watches them. So uh, what about you, Barry? Well, I'm not much of a movie guy, I have to admit. And I, I avoid the Hallmark channel at all costs at this time of year. I have kind of leaned toward a couple PBS series. My wife watches a lot of PBS and records a lot of different PBS shows. And there are two in particular that kind of come onto our radar. One is called Death in Paradise. And it is about a small police force and detective force on a Caribbean island. And they investigate some odd crimes. And usually it's, it's very well done and, and a really interesting show. And the second one is kind of a quirky PBS a series called Shakespeare and Hathaway. It's about a kind of an offbeat man and woman detective agency and their foibles as they try to, to solve different crimes and whatnot. And also a very funny show and, and very interesting and dramatic as well.
0: We certainly want to hear from you. So chime in with your quarantine TV and movie picks. You can do that by emailing us at safehealth at nsc.org or checking in with the hashtag SafeSidePopQuiz on social media. And we may even share some of your responses
1: on a future episode of On the Safe Side. Well, we want to thank you all for spending a little time with us today. Again, on behalf of the National Safety Council, we hope that you and all the loved ones in your lives are continuing to remain safe and healthy amid the COVID-19 pandemic. As a reminder, our sponsor, AccuForm, has COVID-19 safety tips and information available in its Back to Work Quick Start Guide. You can find that at accuform.com slash work find stories such as Barry's feature on the NFPA 70E, along with all the latest news, please visit us online at safetyandhealthmagazine.com. Also, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. We also have a publication to help keep your employees and family members safe at home, Family Safety and Health, available at safetyandhealthmagazine.com family. You can get your free copy by calling 800-621-7619. In the meantime, feel free to tell a friend or fellow safety pro about this podcast. And if you'd like to share some feedback or learn more about the publications I just mentioned, email us at safehealth at nsc.org. As always, we'd like to thank our colleague and master of sound, Chelsea Yang. Original music for this podcast was provided by Steve Maslin. Thank you so much, Steve. We'll be back next month with another episode to have more safety-related discussions, talk to trusted voices from around the profession, and hopefully give you a reason to smile. Until then, please stay on the safe side.